Hey there, folks. Alex Lokes here. Classic Camera Revival. And we are back in the studio, if ever so briefly, to get some in-person recording done. Because as much as we enjoy recording remotely and it works, it does miss something that being in person, be able to catch visual cues easily. So we are here in Milton, Ontario, and we have just completed our third mystery camera challenge. And this is, of course, where each of us picks a camera out of our collection and um, another person shoots it without knowing what it is. And to make things even more interesting, we also had the cameras ready loaded with film. So uh, let's go. Welcome to the Classic Camera Revival, coming to you from the Greater Toronto Hamilton region of Ontario, Canada. If you don't have gear acquisition syndrome now, you most likely will by the end of the episode. All right, so this time around, there were only four of us, because that's how many people are allowed to be in a group inside at any given time right now. But such is life in a pandemic. So we had four cameras, four different film stocks, and let's start with Bill, who was shooting my um, Zeiss Icon, Iconta 521. It's funny, because I participated in the last Mystery Camera Challenge, and I wound up with another Zeiss Icon product, and I think I did. It, it, it's one of those precision engineering, but they can be fiddly, and... I have not really shot with a folding camera. I do have a Kodak Retina at home with a super sharp lens, but it certainly needs a CLA. It is uh, the Zeiss Iconta 521. It's, it's a 645 frame factor, so you got 16 shots. Now, did I expose all 16? No. Because unlike most cameras where you film advance and then it stops... It doesn't stop on this camera. No. Then you have to go through the really dim red. It's like the red view viewfinder in the back and saying, hopefully you can catch the number. Maybe. It's low contrast. So guess what? I may have overshot a few frames. Yeah, that, but that happens. It is, uh, from what I've been told, it is a super sharp lens. So the, the real proof in the pudding, uh, to borrow that tired trope, is we'll find out when I process the film, which turned out to be really RPX 100 and 120, which I actually haven't shot in 120. I've shot in 35 millimeter, and it's a lovely film. So we'll just have to wait and see how that's going to look when I soup it and do 76. Uh, in terms of usability, it is a folder, so it's like a lot of folding, portable folding cameras. We're, we're going to differentiate that from view cameras. So it's everything from the 6x9 icon to all the way down to the 645. Uh, you've got, uh, you got to set your aperture and then uh, cock the shutter because it's not really like automatic. So you have to sort of, after every shot, you got to recock the shutter or don't recock the shutter if you don't want to accidentally fire it off. It's a quiet camera. Um, if you're used to shooting that, it's a great one for take with you, say, well, back in the time before. If you commuted a lot on public transit, it'd be actually a great camera for just take with you to work to and from work and, and document the world around you. You can even use it as one of your travel cameras, uh, along with an SLR, and it's you know super duper. It's so it folds up so compact, 
you'd hardly know it's there. You can literally fit it in your pocket. Exactly. You can put it in your jacket pocket and off you go. I would say there is a learning curve using this camera. I was, I, I drew, I drew the name and I drew Alex's name and I'd seen the giddy look on his face going, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and it's one of those generally, if I'm going to get into something that vintage, it's like try and find the instructions for it. And so you minimize the wasted film, but I'm going to be interested to see what I get out of this. Cause again, the shooting conditions today were bright and sunny. So it was a sunny 16 kind of day. So basically I set it to F 16 F one hundredth of a second. I believe it was cause they used the old scientific speeds as opposed to the geometric speeds later in the introduced widely in the later 1950s. So, uh, it's an interesting camera. It's something that if I had more time to play with, I would probably not waste so many frames, but again, it's, it is what it is. We'll just have to wait and see what the, I develop and scan. Yeah, no. Um, again, even I've missed frames on this mm. camera, uh, especially in bright sunlight. That Ren window doesn't do well. And m most modern films, the backing paper, there's not enough contrast on the numbers to make it easy. Yeah. And that's sort of, what I found and, uh, it's not, unless there's a way, a, a, a hack that you can probably say, okay, three or four turns gives you enough room for the next frame yeah. and you're not wasting. So maybe yep. instead of 16, you get 14 out of it and you're still going yep. all right. But again, I, unless there is a hack out there for those who love their Zeiss Iconta 521s, uh, please share. Yeah. In case you don't want to rely on the little red window in back. I was going to jump in and say, I got the same problem. Like I have my Bessa 66, which is a medium format folder. It has a red window and in bright sunlight, like with certain brands of film, it is so hard to, uh, you know, to see that number. Like I think some brand, you'll see that the circle gets bigger and bigger as you wind it. Mm -hmm. But it's like gray on gray. Like... What Pretty we, much. What these guys and, thinking? And that's more on the film, uh, the companies who make film, who who make 120 film with their backing papers, and they. I don't know if it's like a cost issue or it's sort of like a design uh, decision. Hey, let's just go tonal almost. Uh, but if you're using more, much more vintage cameras that use that deep red window, which can double as a red filter for, I guess, a 110 camera. <laughs> if you want to do infrared uh it's um it's a struggle and uh again it's not on the makers of the camera it's more like the, the filmmakers they make those numbers a lot more contrasty uh not everyone is going to be using them because again most of the 120 film is either going to go through a mamiya a bronica hasselblad a Rolleiflex, a yashica mat maybe a minolta autocord that's the vast majority of what it's going to go through or a Kiev 88. Yeah. So it, it's sort of like, it's, it's an auto advance, boom, stops, you know, it's your next frame. Whereas these, uh, you are kind of like, eh, maybe I made it there. Maybe I overlapped. I don't know. <laughs> and, and it's such a bright day that if you're careless, if you have like that little red window pointed towards the sun for any length of time, like uh, news, news flash, uh, most films these days are not orthochromatic unless you're buying Ilford 80. Yeah. Um, so 
you can get little little cheerful circles on your film. I found that. Yeah, definitely. Well, we'll find out. Yeah. And uh, moving on, John, you shot with Bill's Minolta X570. Yes, I got to shoot something a bit more modern. Um, it did not have a little red window. It was like the uh, X570 SLR, uh, I guess, aperture priority or match needle. Okay, uh, a quick, quick history of the Minolta X570. Early, mid-1980s, uh, Minolta sort of was winding down production of the Minolta XD series. And they were kind of kind of made that realization that, yeah, we're not going to get the pro camera market at all. So they came out with the Minolta X70, which is sort of almost uh, a direct competitor to the Canon A1 or the A1, AE1 program. But they wanted to introduce something slightly less expensive, which is sort of a, a, tr a Minolta tradition. So they came out with the X570. So instead of having aperture and shutter priority and program mode that you have in the X700, the 570 only had aperture priority. And the grand irony, even though it was slightly cheaper than the X700, a lot of advanced Minolta shooters love the X570. I can see why they would, because I was... Uh because I found that a, I found that a fairly, with one exception, which I'll get to, the camera was transparent. It didn't get in the way. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it. The only thing I didn't care for was this blinking red light in the viewfinder. If anyone's ever seen uh, *A Drama to Strain*, the movie where that famous scene where where Kate Reed looks at a flashing red light and has an epileptic seizure. Um, I actually just finished reading that novel. <laughs> it's uh, it's a good movie to see. But I, again, because uh, as, as Bill said, it was a Sunny 16. I just basically Sunny 16 it today. I was shooting the uh, Ultrafine 400, uh, which is actually is a favorite film of mine. So thanks for uh, loading that one, Bill. And and, and yeah, like there, I'm not being insulting or, or uh, denigrating it, but I want to say it was a vanilla camera. You know, it doesn't have a whole lot of idiosyncrasies. No. So, like, and it also had a very nice, you know, it's all, it sounded very mechanical. It didn't sound like it was, you know, every, every click of the shutter could be its last. It sounded like this camera is one that will still be working in, uh, in 10 or 20 years. So if someone were just, were getting into film photography for the first time, a model like this, you say they go for about a hundred bucks on this used on market? average a hundred bucks. I would, I would, uh, I would recommend like this is a suitable one. And you said if it was meant to, uh, compete with the, uh, Canon AE one of the world, I've used the AE one. I prefer this. I think I just found it, it again. It did. I like a camera that does not get in the way. Well, yeah, and it's a it's a brilliant system because it, again, it plastic, fantastic construction. Uh, it's an electronic shutter, but it's like aperture priority. You can go manual. Uh, yes, the light meter takes some getting used to. You've got full access to Minolta's MC and MD Roker uh, lens system, and you can use both, no problem at all. And uh, the biggest, biggest bonus between it, and I'm not slagging the Canon A-Series, but the A-Series takes a 6-volt uh, 4SR44 battery, which isn't that common these days. It's available. It's still available, but you got to hunt for it a little bit. Whereas the... Uh, Minolta X700 and 570, they take Energizer 357s, which you can find in any drugstore, supermarket, hardware store on planet Earth. 
That that's good to know because I'm I'm finding as you know I'll be getting close to sixty. I'm getting less and less patient with things like obscure esoteric batteries. Oh, for sure. Like, like I'm not going to look for a 1930s wet cell to make a camera go. If it doesn't take regular batteries that I can get, well, uh, or, or, or takes no batteries at all, those are the two cameras that interest me right now. I've, I'm getting too old for the esoteric BS. <laughs> well, it's even like the 90s autofocus SLRs, oddly enough, from Minolta and Canon and Pentax. I want to say the big guys. Nikon was sort of good because they went double A batteries, whereas everyone else was like these sort of lithiums that like cost 18 bucks to buy. And it's like, if you're going up north, it's like, yeah, take extra with you because if that battery dies, your next closest camera store is probably the Henry's and Barry. <laughs> The last if thing it's still open. Yeah, yeah if yeah. it's still open. Ooh, if it's still a going concern. Feel the burn. Um, the last thing I will say about the, uh, the 570, because I think uh, it, it, it's, it's a really positive point, nice, bright viewfinder. I, I, that, uh, like I, I, I hate cameras with, with you know, dim, dim, squinty windows, but uh, this is not dim. It's not squinty. It's a uh, focusing is a joy. So, again, highly recommended. Thanks, Bill. Good choice. My pleasure. Yeah, that's the one thing I found that Minolta through the 1980s up into the their early autofocus, very vanilla in their yeah, offerings. They're not it, it, like, yeah, they're designed just to work. But yeah. even then, the XD11 was it's it, there were there were a workhorse camera for what I call advanced amateur. Yeah, like I think Minolta just didn't quite get it right to appeal to the pro market. Yeah, the pro market was very conservative. And in the end, I think when they were collaborating with Leica, they sort of real with the R series. When we talked about that in a previous mm-hmm. CCR episode, it, it was sort of like, yeah, we're going after the advanced amateurs. Yep, perfect. And that brings us to James, the uh, man who hates rangefinders. <laughs> got a rangefinder. <laughs> yes, and karma delivers. Yes, karma struck again. But you know what? I I got to say, I had a very pleasant experience with uh, with John's. Um, uh, Bessa T, and I believe it had a 35, uh, 1.7, was it? 35 millimeter F1.7 Ultron. This is the original screw mount Ultron right. with a uh, with an adapter. Right, and then it had the uh, um, external viewfinder on it. A Russian special. Excellent, yes. And um, actually, surprisingly, when I was looking through the finder, I was, I was quite uh, surprised at how the aspect ratio looked. It looked very landscapey. Like almost like a like a sixteen by nine um, aspect ratio. Well, and uh, you know that is a piece of Soviet Union uh, gear, and uh, they were the poster child for approximate. <laughs> yeah, precision approximation. Yes, um, but uh, I got to say it was a very pleasant um, experience with the camera. Um, uh, looking through the uh, the Russian uh, external view viewfinder was was absolutely fine. So I, I really enjoyed looking through the viewfinder. Uh, the metering um, was uh, very quick and responsive. Um, it took me probably about three or four frames to kind of figure out how to activate the meter on the camera. So on this particular camera, there's uh, three LED uh, lights, uh, 
um, a green center uh, light uh, um, that has two uh, red uh, arrows um, on either side that will point that will light up for one stop under. Well, I, I shouldn't say one stop under or over. It's either going to be underexposed or overexposed. Um, when you when you get it to the green and you can adjust your you can compensate uh, one stop under one stop over the red light will come on. So I guess you could sort of use it as a one stop kind of compensation um, meter. Uh, very easy to focus. Uh, one of the challenging things with it, it, it does take a little bit of time in that you do have to look through the viewfinder and then you've got to look through the, um, you got to look through the external viewfinder and then you got to look through the internal viewfinder uh, to focus uh, the camera. So you are looking through two viewfinders or, you know, you could, you could uh, set it. Uh, I, I, I mostly sunny 16 today, so I could have kind of kept with that and uh, hyperfocal distanced it and, you know, or set it to infinity and probably would have been absolutely fine. Um, mm -hmm. And, and John had loaded it up with a lovely roll of uh pan F 50. That's going to take a bath in some uh, perceptol a little bit later on. So, uh, nice. yeah, so I, um, really enjoyed it. Lovely camera. Um, uh, is it enough to draw me back to shooting rangefinders? Well, until it says Leica and M seven on it, probably not, but, uh, you know, um, but we're not going to, we're not going to start that debate today. In a way it was almost a special, uh a special purpose. It's almost a, uh, a special purpose kind of camera. Like it was a successor to the Bessa L, which uh, Voigtlander released. It was in screw mount when they released the first screw mount version of that 15 millimeter f4.5 super wide Haliar. And so the Bessa T is now a uh, an M mount. And so it has some features that the Bessa L uh, didn't have. But I think it was happiest if. To, to serve as sort of as a basically a light type box for Voigtlander's super wides, like the 15, or you could call it the 21, the 15, the 12, the 10, basically lenses where you didn't have to do a whole lot of, uh, of focusing. It was just you could set it to any aperture and you're always in focus. It's like yeah, a hyper, hyperfocal wet dream. Well, I think when you get into those focal lengths, I mean, it, it, it's pretty hard to mess up focus. Yes. Like you got, you got to actually try, I think. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. would, would I use a 90 millimeter Elmar on this lens? Probably not. Yeah. Or no. on this camera, on this probably camera, not. Yeah. So... I, I ended up shooting uh, James Lee's um, Yashica YF. Now, in full disclosure, I have shot this camera before, and but again, I wrote about it on the blog. I never actually talked about it on the show. So the YF, I like it. I'm not a rangefinder fan. I have one. I shoot it every so often when I feel the need to. The YF, I, I really see this as a bridge rangefinder because it takes the best of what you got with your Barnack Leicas, where it has the um, Leica thread mount on it, but it also has the best of the modern M Leica rangefinders as well, in the sense that it is a single viewfinder rangefinder. The focusing patch is big and bright. There's two frame lines. I think it's a 50... And a 35, I believe. Yeah, <clears throat> which makes um, composition super easy. Um, yeah, it has bottom loading, but it has the um, assistance door on the back as well. So that's, I just like it. Um, the trouble is, is that they are fairly rare on the used market and they do go for a lot of money. 
But if you get one in um, a fantastic condition, it won't let you down. I Again, it's no nonsense. There's no light meter. It's a rangefinder, but it does have a cold shoe on it, which means that, again, I was shooting Sunny 16. I was shooting a roll of Tri-X, which I pulled about a stop to 250, and I'm going to develop it in Rolly Super Grain. And so I was expecting another rainy day um, CCR camera walk so i uh, i put 400 in there and it's bright and sunny so uh sorry about that alex but no worries i'm sure like, you can handle it i like tri-x i i um back in at the end of june i went and drove along the historic welland canals for uh, a photo project that i'm uh working on and by the time this episode is released i will have released at least the first um blog post on the um on the project and again it was a bright sunny day and i was shooting triax at 400 because i was shooting a lot of telephoto lenses in some cases to to catch some of the locks that were a little more outside of my ability to walk to so um no problems with the film there i'm a black and white triax junkie always will be it's just an excellent camera if you if you come across one and you've been wanting a leica but you don't want to pay Leica prices, but you don't like the fact that the Barnack Leicas have a separate viewfinder, rangefinder window, and you don't trust the Russian copies, then buy a Yashica YF. Yeah, if you can find one. If uh, you can find They're one. a little hard to come by, and I, I agree with your, your assessment on it. It's... Um it's an interesting history uh, the camera's got. Um, it was uh, launched um, around 1959. Yashica actually uh, took over a company called Nik- Nika, uh, N-I-C-C-A, and it was actually based on the Nika uh, 3L. Yep. You know, and it's, it's again, it, it, like you said, it's one of those bridge rangefinders. I call it the sleeper rangefinder. Mm. It's, like it's like a refined Barnack. Yep. Um, is how I would best describe it. Yeah. It's easy to load um, in that um, when you load this camera, uh, there is a, um, a take-up spool that is removable. Right. So you can actually uh, put, your, put the, uh, uh, the tab of the film into the take-up spool and slide both the cartridge and the take-up spool into the bottom of the camera, and it catches right it, away. Yeah, and it, it, it's all—it's already you've already got it put on the uh, on the take-up spool, so yep. it's an automatic catch. So yeah, um, no cutting down the leader either. Exactly. So the leader's uh, you know yeah easy to use. Um, yeah, great. It, it's a, it's a, it's a little. It's got some quirks. It's got two shutter speed dials. So I think you know one shutter speed dial is for one twenty fifth and above, and then one sixtieth and below. You have to use the other shutter speed dial, which is on the front of the body. So yeah, but again, guess, if, you know, if you're used to that on a Barnack, you're you're yeah. you're golden. Exactly. Yeah. But I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yeah. No fun little camera. Great um, piece of glass on it too. By oh. the way. Again, if you've shot Yashica TLRs or even any of their um, fixed-lens rangefinders, you'll know that Yashica glass stands up to Canon and Nikon without any questions, even Olympus. Well, that about wraps it up for this episode. Nice short one uh, today. But uh, join us again. We'll be back later this month. Uh, my name's Alex Lokes, saying uh, sometimes you just have to close your eyes, reach into the bag, grab the first camera that you get, and just have some fun. This is James Lee. Sometimes you can't choose the box you get your hands on, but when you get your hands on a box, enjoy it. (laughs) 
This is Bill Smith. Yeah, just don't overwind the uh, the film there. <laughs> <laughs> and this is John Meadows. Twenty twenty, a year of surprises. It's nice to have a pleasant surprise for a change. Hey.